We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chick intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to the Atheist Experience. We've been on the air for 15 years and have won the best public access show in Austin for the past three years in a row. I've been hosting for about seven, and my name is misspelled at the bottom of the screen. That's the way you do TV. It's all live. Hey, I'm Matt Dillahunty. Joining me this week is my good friend and awesome person, Dr. Daryl Ray. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be on. How here. are you? I'm doing very well. You, some of you may remember Daryl. He's been on a couple times before. We had him on uh, because of his book, The God Virus, which we talked about. And uh, in the meantime, before we get to, to the, the latest book, you started the Recovering from Religion Foundation, which is now uh, being kind of managed by our friend uh, Jerry. Jerry DeWitt. Jerry right. DeWitt. And first, Sarah Moorhead. Yeah. First graduate of the Clergy Project. Lots of good stuff there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, an avenue to help people escape from religion. Right, right. And lately, you started another thing, uh, along with some other people, too, the, the Therapist Project, if you'd right. tell a little bit yeah. about that. Well, it's a sprout-off of, of, of the uh, Recovering from Religion, and it's recoveringfromreligion.org is, is the website. But it's a spin-off because what we've learned was a lot of people were coming to our meetings, our meetups, trying to recover from the trauma of being in religion, of course, mm-hmm. but, but they need more than that. They oftentimes need a therapist. And people tell me they've gone to a therapist and they can't find one that's not religious or doesn't try to send them back to church or pray with them or something like that. And it's really hard in some especially highly religious communities to find therapists that are secular. So we've started this website. It's an anonymous website, kind of like Match.com or eHarmony. You you register as a client. They register as a therapist. And you you can meet each other. Through this website, you can see what's, what what um, specialties they have, what they're willing to work with you on, and you can tell if you want to work with that therapist or not. They're both anonymous, though, so you can email through our system, and then once you decide, yeah, I want to work with this therapist, then you go outside of our system, fake, you know, make a phone call, make an appointment, and then start therapy. But you know, you're guaranteed this person is a secular therapist because four of us secular therapists have vetted those folks. Mm-hmm. We've made sure. They are not going to send you back to church. They're not going to pray with you. They're not going to get your chakras realigned or anything crazy like that. You know, we, we, over the years, we've dealt with a lot of people, both calling in and in email, the difficulties of relationships when you've given up religion. Um, so there's a stigma in society in the United States about being an atheist. There's a stigma about not being religious. There's also a stigma associated to getting or needing therapy. Yeah. So you've got this this kind of mashed potatoes blend of stigmas. And so having an anonymous source that you can go to where the the, the people who are there to help you uh, you, you are, can be confident that these individuals are right. are responsible and and qualified and secular. Well, and one of the key things that's on therapist sites is anonymous because imagine being a um, being a therapist in Oklahoma City mm-hmm. and you advertise that you're a secular or you're atheist. Yeah, you'll lose half or more of your clients just like that. 
and churches will stop sending people to you, and hospitals will stop sending. So you'll lose your whole referral base yep. if somebody finds out you're an atheist. So that's why it's so important to keep this under the radar anonymous. In the, and it's, in the system. what's the website? Uh, seculartherapy.org. Seculartherapy.org. Right. So in addition to all that and running around giving all kinds of talks and about duck sex and things like that, <laughs> You you engaged, uh, you, you did a study on yeah. sex and religion, mm-hmm. and out of that came a paper, and this, your latest book, Sex and God. Well, oh, well one chapter of that. One chapter yeah. of this. Yeah, it was, it was a very small part of the book. Well, yeah. tell me about sex and God, because I've never had sex with God. <laughs> I've mentioned his name <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> now, yeah. how, how did the book come about, and, and what should people look for in it? Well, it, it arises because I, of my own interest in sex, for, for decades I've been interested in why is religion so interested in sex. And if you look at Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, Mormonism, they all are very interested in what you do in the bedroom. And I'm, I'm curious, why, why is sex such an important component of all religions? And I try to answer that question by really looking at a wide range of religions, a wide range of cultures, especially religions and cultures that existed before these major religions came mm-hmm. along. Um, and, I, and what I found is there's, there's, there's a lot of evidence that religions distort and push us in different directions and ways that are quite unnatural. So when a religion, and all, almost all these religions say things like you shouldn't have premarital sex or you should never masturbate. So when religions are telling you that, they're telling you to do things that's unnatural. That's absolutely unnatural. Asking a 13-year-old kid not to masturbate, right, that ain't going to work. And yet Mormon church does that. They hand a kid, 12-year-old kids get handed a pamphlet that says you can't masturbate. And and these elders who probably masturbated that morning are handing you this this stuff and saying you can't do it so what i've what i realized is religionists are lying they're lying to themselves they're lying to their children they're lying to their spouse i don't know how many religionists i've known who said yes i was told their spouses yes i was a virgin when i married you when i know darn good and well they weren't Mm -hmm. you know i'm a psychologist people come into my office they tell me stuff and i realized you're you you are lying you started your entire marriage on a lie and, and then they have kids, and they turn around, and they tell their kids, you can't have sex before marriage, and yet they themselves had sex before marriage. So what it, I realize is all, almost all of religious sexuality is based on a lie. What does that do to people's sexual enjoyment? Mm-hmm. What's it do to their marriage relationships? What's it do to the way they raise their children, their relationships with their children? I mean, it's just there's a tremendous amount of stuff to look at there, and nobody had ever written even so much as an article. I've never found a single book that looked at this intersection between religion and sex. Of course, of course, Christians write them all the time. But it's Christian sex. It's not human sexuality. It's Christian yeah. sex, yeah. It's plenty has been written about what God wants you to yeah, do. Yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but not so much on how religion actually impacts our views of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you talked at the last, this most recent Texas Freethought Convention about the process of slut-shaming yeah. and... Um, the kind of stigma that we or the issues that we imbue people with mm-hmm. on behalf of religion on behalf of religion right and once people get infected with these ideas it really disrupts their ability to enjoy themselves enjoy their partner i mean if you think about the most important sex partner you all have in your life is yourself because you, if you never have sex with anybody else you're probably going to have sex with yourself and yet religion wants to interfere with that well if you can't even enjoy your own body how are you going to enjoy somebody else's body? And when the Catholic Church shames women uh, over having orgasms or over having any kind of, of sexual interest, that that suppresses their ability to enjoy. And when I in the book I contrast this is okay. Let's look at how Catholic women and men work versus how Manganian men and women work in the South, in the South Pacific. And these folks are very sex positive. Do women have low sex drives? Do women abjure sex, do not like sex in those cultures? No. Women actually like sex more than men do in many times in those cultures. Why, why, do, why does the Catholic women get the reputation of being so uptight? Why do Jewish women get the reputation of not wanting sex as much? Or Pentecostal women. I mean, Jerry DeWitt's, you know, Jerry. And, and uh, you know, um, uh, you know his, some of what he's talked about, how sexually repressive the Pentecostal church is. And it... it primarily represses women but it also represses men and and when i want i want people to realize that if you suppress women from a male dominated patriarchal culture you're suppressing yourself as well 
I mean, if, if you don't let women be who women are, then you can't let men be who men are. Yeah. And so you end up with things like rape, a- abuse, spousal abuse. I mean, all sorts of problems come from that because we're not letting ourselves be follow a fairly normal or natural pattern for our sexuality. Like bonobos. Like bonobos. <laughs> How much better would the world be? <laughs> we were like No, bonobos. no fighting. You two, go have sex. Come back when you feel better. <laughs> Everything's good. Hey, we got a bunch of callers on. Um, I can't uh, direct people to uh, the, the website for the book and stuff, but... You were at the Texas Free Thought Convention. You were down here giving us uh, a, a lecture day. I don't know what your lecture schedule is like uh, for the coming year, but, I mean, there's a bunch of big conventions coming up, and if you knew of any of them that you were going to be at. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be. I'll be at American Atheist Convention in March. You sure. will? Yes. You I mean will. there's a convention here in right Austin? here in Austin. And yeah. you'll be there? I will be here, right. The American <laughs> Atheist 50th Anniversary Convention. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's going to be here in Austin, Texas over Easter weekend, March 31st, which happens to be the birthday of somebody very important. But I we can't talk about that right now. Um, yeah, that's going to, I can't wait. That's going to be huge. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. And I actually knew you were going to be there uh, as well. Um, so, yeah, if you're not in the Austin area, uh, it's a good, good opportunity to actually come down to the Austin area. You can watch the show live if we're doing it that weekend, which I'd say the odds are pretty good we'll do something that weekend. Mm-hmm. You better. Yeah. With that many people around. Yeah, otherwise, you know, this, the weekend would just suck if, if we didn't have the show. I mean, this is, after all, the best cable access show, probably in the whole world. I mean, let's just face it. it if we won Austin, we probably won the whole world. And, and it's, it's because you keep coming back. Oh, is that what it is? Well, I'll, You want to you dig that. into some callers real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. So we've got uh, Saif in Manchester. How are you? Hi there, Matt. Hi. Thanks for having me on the show. Sure, you you had uh, sent uh, a, a Twitter a tweet t- about your new book. Yes, the Allah delusion. Why, why don't you take a minute or so and, and tell us about it, and we'll we'll go from yeah. there. Yeah, um, I wrote this book uh, when uh, when uh, when I started out um, as a teenager. I had a lot of problems with Islam, um, and I, had, I used to have, fall into a lot of arguments with my cousins. Um, who often had come from Pakistan um, and were trying to get me to follow the religion more fastidiously. Um, and I got down and started studying the religion from top to bottom, and there were lots of things I had problems with. Um, and he asked me to write them down so he could take them all to a religious scholar over in Pakistan, and uh, he could come back to me with the answers. So I sat down, uh, wrote all the questions, put it together in a blog, which had something like 45,000 views. Um, and he never read, he never came back to me. It's been eight years and never heard back from him. But uh, the book's out now, thanks, thanks to him and by the grace of Allah. Yeah, you spent all this time coming up with questions and never got any answers. No, um, and it's very hard to find it because there's, there's this, um, it's all hidden underneath a cloak and almost like a- asking the questions is almost a sin in itself. It's almost like you are doubting the existence and the truth of the religion itself. I tell you, one of, one of the only uh, Islamic apologists I've seen, um, I believe his name is Warwick. Is that right? You might oh, know. Oh, Ibn Warwick, yes. Yeah. He, he, yeah, I mean, he's, he's very vehemently against the religion. I don't necessarily um, follow his approach because I think um, a more softer approach is probably more useful for the Ummah at large to uh, take them on board with the new humanist ideas in, in this century. Oh, we might we not might not be talking about the same guy. You're saying this guy is opposed to the religion because there's a guy, there's an individual that I've seen uh, on YouTube who's who's basically this extremely overly saccharine sweet uh, Islamic apologist who talks about how he loves atheists because they've already got it half right because uh, the Quran says there is no God I but Allah. I like you talking about. I call him Nike N I N A I K. Which incidentally means uh, to fuck in Arabic, his surname. <laughs> which is uh, hey, welcome to the Sex and God show. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, you're in the you're in the Manchester in the UK, um, and there's a little bit more going on in your area with regard to Islam that we don't actually have to deal with. Um, and while we're, we're yeah, we're, but you deal with the overspill, don't you, over in the US? We deal with what? You deal with the overspill. Yes. Overspill. Yeah. Um, you had 9-11, so it doesn't necessarily just uh, lie on our borders. 
often the problem gets exported over to the U.S., and you tend to deal with everything. That's all right, because we're sending the creationists over to you, evidently, anyway. <laughs> we've, got, we've got a really good international trade in religious buffoonery. There's too, there's too much over um, over here, and it's, it's time that we um, started working with them and trying to make changes, because uh, it's... It, it, it's polluting the, the youth of today, and um, we're going to get the problems, continue getting the problems further down the line. Yeah. Uh, you might be interested, there's a new American Humanist Association website that uh, talks about teens without God and kids without God. It's a great resource for parents to go to, for teens, for kids. It's got lots of science. It's got all sorts of answers. And I'm, I'm writing a column for them called Ask an Atheist, and it's teens writing in to ask me questions. I've had questions from the UK, I've had questions from Turkey, all over the United States, of course. Well, it would be great if they could join up with us, because I'm, I'm trying to start off a cultural Muslim and humanist um, association in the UK in the next year, um, because I think there's a lot of problems. I mean, I've had about 139 death threats, because leaving Islam or, or becoming a cultural Muslim carries through the, the penalty within Sharia law. Yeah. Well, to, call- for murder, and so it's something that is, you know, we need to the humanists and everybody needs to come on board to actually support um, our needs because we are a minority and we, you know, have to be careful um, how we express ourselves. Check with the British Human Association, see if they'll help you. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things. Also, Richard Dawkins' fund uh, uh, and his foundation, I think that's an excellent area. But also with Muslims, I want to um, reach out to them as well. I, rather than saying I'm an ex-Muslim, because I don't think that's necessarily conducive or positive. I want to say we're cultural Muslim. There's still a lot in me um, that um, is, you know, I, I still find carried out me today that is specific to my bringing as a Muslim. Um, and I think it, rather than having this X stance or saying that I, I, I am not you, and it's almost like an antagonistic approach, it's like saying, come on, we should all share, we're all humans, we all belong to this world, let's live happily rather than having this them and us, them versus us approach. Do, do you we, find that that actually... Do you do you have better conversations when you go that way? Yes, very, very much so. Because, they, they, you know, to be honest, the biggest opposition I'm getting with this idea of cultural humanism is from ex-Muslims themselves who no longer want anything to do with Islam. Mm-hmm. And they don't like even having the name attached to them. It almost muddies uh, what they stand for. But, you know, there's so many things that still carry out, you know, with me. You know, I still celebrate Eid. I still say Salaam Alaikum when I meet my family. I still use wet wipes in the toilet, or a lotta, what they call it. Well, that um, seems to be a good idea in general. For biryani. <laughs> so these, there's still ramifications into my life even now, um, as to my upbringing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you calling in, and it, uh, hit me up. I mean, I know we did this real quickly over Twitter, and I've got a bunch of phone calls to get to, and Daryl's already on this week, but uh, drop me an email about what's going on with the book and everything else. We'll talk some more. Yeah, they mentioned that you might have me on as guest, guest uh, speaker sometime. Sure. Could I just do a quick shout-out? So I have a bunch of people asking me to uh, just mention a few things. Well, okay, as long as you're not selling anything, sure. Oh, well, I just want to mention um, the CEMBX Muslim Forum. That's a group of where we all get together. Mm-hmm. Um, my Debating Islam Facebook group, Gin and Tonic Show, Majid Nawaz is the Radical Book. Um, and finally, my book, The Allah Delusion, which, is on, which isn't a money-making scheme. It's only on sale for $5. No, no, no you can't do that. that oh, okay. That's what I can't have you do. Okay, I won't say that then. All right, well, thanks, Bob. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs> you take care. Uh, oh, well. I didn't do what a caller did. Anyway, John in Hamburg, how are you? Oh, hello. Hi. Well, I'm nervous. I'm good, thank you. Oh, don't, How be, are you? don't be nervous. We're on the other side of the ocean. We can't do anything to you. All oh, right. Um, well, I'm a bit nervous because I'm worried you might think that I'm a bit ridiculous. But uh, I kind of um, had a bit of a, a hypothesis today, which maybe could one day become a, a proper theory. Um, and that was, um, I, I think first we have to establish uh, the... Um, Evolution is uh, survival of the fittest, and and I just want—I only remember evolution from my year ten high school, um, where the strongest breed was the strongest, and then the the rest sort of yeah, fall away. That's that's and, that's not really accurate. Okay, could you uh, just quickly 
just so that I can... Well, survival of the fittest, this, this idea, is kind of a, a generalization. There's, there's nothing um, specific, there's nothing intrinsic about, for example, muscles that make somebody fit. It's not necessarily about uh, the strongest or the fastest. Or anything can be chosen for fitness at any time. Um, and it could be that, you know, in, 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 at one period in time, the brainiest turns out to have a fitness advantage, and in some cases it may be running faster. In some cases it may not be anything physical, but the person who can be the most manipulative. And therefore okay. you can have right. individuals who we would consider to be terrible people, but they're the most yeah. evolutionary fit to pass on their genes because they're conniving yeah. little tweeps. Well, that, that, that's perfect for what I want to say. Okay. Um, so um, I was going through, it's quite coincidental that you're talking about sexing by today. I was going through my Facebook page today and I saw an old group of friends who, from school who are all Christian. And um, I started going through their pictures and realizing that um, these were the kind of not as fit guys. These were what you might call the offcuts of evolution, the maybe and possibly the more manipulative ones. And I, and, uh, I realized that all their girlfriends and wives were um, what you might call the fitter ones. And that got me thinking, how is this <laughs> the case? And um, so then I sort of created this hypothesis where uh, the offcuts, let's just call them the offcuts of society, created religion to keep women in order so that they could then procreate with the best possible women. Okay. And then, and, then um, and so religion was sort of an evolutionary technique, an adaptation for those off-cut men to, to the progress um, in, a, in an evolved society. Yeah, there, there, are people, there are people who have looked into the evolutionary advantages of religion and into how religion's formed. I, I think it, it's... To talk about how religion's formed, I think you're almost always in danger of a gross oversimplification because religion isn't one thing and even an individual religion isn't one thing. Um, but if what you're saying is that religions on occasion have within them things that offer people, let homely guys get laid by attractive yeah. women, um, yeah. And religion isn't the only type of thing that can do that. You know, there's, yeah. there's some really ugly basketball and football players, but uh, they got lots of money and they're fit. And, you know, but that's none of so that has to do so much. I don't, I don't even know that it's fair to even talk about that in terms of evolution, really, because you're already making subjective assessments about who's fit to be with who type thing. And so you're, you're constantly in a situation where you're injecting your biases. But do, mm -hmm. do things like religion offer advantages to people? You bet. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Um, it, interestingly, um, I, I'm actually uh, an atheist. I have been for a while, but my, my girlfriend, long-term girlfriend, is actually uh, really, really into her Christianity. She's from Alabama, so you can imagine. And it's quite an interesting relationship. And I just was wondering if you could please give me a rundown, Jesus. just a brief rundown as to why the Bible is not a reliable source. Because uh, I feel as though if you can prove that it's not a reliable source, then you, there's no, you don't really need to look further into it. And I'd like her to hear that. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I, let me answer that part, and then I'll let Daryl get, get to this thing here. But uh, you're already shifting the burden of proof. It's not up to us to prove that the Bible is unreliable. It's up to the people yeah. who are advocating the Bible to prove that it is reliable. However, um, you can look at just about anything in there, um, right down to you know how women are treated and viewed as property. Um, does, she, does she think that's true and accurate? I mean, is she okay with... Slavery. What about the absurdity of the Genesis account? I mean, I realize that there are Christians who take it uh, non-literally, uh, but it's just this long list of uh, absurd claims mashed in with a group's supposed history that doesn't even seem to be very accurate. Now, <clears throat> you can nitpick about things, and you can go to the New Testament and say, okay, well, 
one of the Gospels is talking about Jesus being born around the time that Quirinius was taking his census, and the other one's during the time of Herod, and these are uh, dates that are separated by a decade, and you can go through those things and point that out. But the problem is that religion has uh, within it, the, the, the prominent religions, and Christianity in particular, a, a toolkit by which they can constantly re-spin and protect those things. So when you point out flaws, even if you found explicit real flaws, there's always the, well, those are scribal errors and we don't have the originals, but the nuts and bolts of this, that there is a God who loves us, is still true. And the, mm-hmm. the only thing that you can say is, how do you know that? Because if you just keep pointing to the Bible and saying that it's true, you've accomplished nothing. Um, because anybody can point to anything and say that it's true. We need actual evidence for it. And until there's evidence for a God, you cannot be rationally justified in believing. But yeah, Daryl's got okay. some stuff I on wanna, your situation. I want to address another component, not related necessarily to the truth of the Bible, but, but the hazard of dating somebody who's religious. And I don't have any trouble with you dating somebody religious. I just want you to be aware of the dangers in doing that. And I write about that in Sex and God. Uh, I call it the Jesus trap. And it's a, it's a way for people to become sexually involved with uh, atheists, with non-theists, or people even of less religious uh, bent to get you to come to church. And what I've noticed <laughs> in my own research is they will go to bed with you, they will, they will have sex, they will actually be quite wild in their sexual expression for several months. And then all of a sudden they'll get the guilties and feel like, oh, I'm, I'm violating God's law, I need to go back to church. And they'll require you to go back to church with them. And the sex will get worse really bad. But they also promise that, you know, if you just go back to church with me, or if you marry me in the church, then the sex will get back to being what it was before. It never works that way. But I call that the Jesus trap because I've seen it happen over and over again. One of the two sexes, generally women, I'm not just picking on them, but generally the women become very sexually uh, interesting and active to entice the man to come back into church, to come to church with them. And then you're stuck. And I've met I've met people who've gotten stuck in church for 20 years because of that little trap. Don't don't do it. Be careful. And I'd like well, to take this thank opportunity. You for the warning. Thanks, John. We got to let you go, but I appreciate the call. Thanks, guys. And good yeah. luck. I'd like to take this opportunity to point out that even though I'm married, if there are a bunch of church women who would like to try to get me to go to church by offering me sex. Um, we have an email uh, account associated with the program. It's tv at atheist-community.org. And if, if you can't deal with him, send him on to me. I'll take him. <laughs> and and Daryl, I, I would actually go to church with you. I don't know if Daryl will do that. I'll go because I'm not the slightest bit worried about it. But. All right. Mario in Cincinnati, how are you? Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Pretty good. Hey, it's interesting. The, uh, the previous caller called on a topic very similar to what I'm calling about. Mm-hmm. Um, when I used to discuss uh, religion with um, Christians, I always used to ask them the simple question. I used to ask them, uh, is something true because you believe it, or do you believe it because it is true? You know, and that, that's kind of the focus of our discussion. But that led me to, to wonder, which of those two does evolution favor? You know, the tendency to Doesn't believe... Care. Or the tendency to know. Well, I, 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 and my initial response was that it doesn't care. I tend to think, I tend to think, though, on the bigger issues that that true beliefs uh, have an evolutionary benefit. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't get benefits from lies and falsehoods. Uh, you can, for example, I've talked before. I'm actually going to put you on hold because we're getting like a a breathing noise through the speaker. Uh, but you should still be able to hear me. We, we talked before about uh, the example I used where somebody's stuck in a cave-in. And it may be the case that they're religious, and so they begin to pray. And they pray for a rescue. And this belief may encourage them to take an action, or not to take an action, that then conveys an evolutionary benefit. For example, they're praying, they become more calm, they use less oxygen, and they last longer until they're rescued. Clearly, that, whether it's true or not, you know, the prayer doesn't have to go anywhere to anybody. The, them merely believing it has allowed them to calm down and provided a benefit to them. On the other hand, if we actually investigate and discover that it's false, that there's nothing about the prayer, then we've learned the truth about the situation and we can grasp rationally that, oh, if I'm calm, 
I'm more likely to extend the oxygen in the, available to me and therefore increase my chances of being rescued. And getting people to understand that, I think, is vastly more beneficial than getting them to believe the lie that accomplishes the same thing. Okay. Am I back? Okay, I'm back on. Well, uh, I'm thinking along a, a line, uh, a different hypothetical case. Suppose, uh, going back to our ancestors, uh, two of them are walking in the woods, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly they hear a sound behind this bush. Mm-hmm. Okay, the first, the first person just responds by believing there's danger and they flee. Yep. The second person, you know, he's like you. He wants to know. I want to know. Okay, well, if it's a predator, the person that wants to know isn't going to raise a family. Okay. And in both scenarios, whether it's, you know, it turns out to be a rabbit or it turns out to be a predator, the person that believed and fled will always survive. But the person who wants to know whether it's a predator or a rabbit will get eaten half the time. Now, well, I don't, know, I don't know about half the time, but one thing we can also say is the one who... Uh, believes that it's a predator and flees is never going to be the one who finds the creature that they could take home for a meal easily, the rabbit. Exactly. I, I agree. So I you're, you're going to find the benefits all over the place. But, yeah, that, that type of thing happens. It's one of the reasons um, I think Michael Shermer's talked about this. Yes, right. Um, yes. Where Concept of agency. Yeah, you know, the, the idea of false positives. I've talked before about how we live our lives primarily by inference and induction. And, yeah, we are the descendants of the people who got it right, who got Enough the right, right mix. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, thanks so much for calling. Hey, thanks, Matt. Cheers. Talk, talk to you again. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so we got uh, George in Dunmore. Um, good evening, gentlemen. I don't believe you for a second. That's the worst fake voice I've ever heard. Excuse me? That is. Excuse me? I said I don't believe you. Why? Because it's your, your good evening, gentlemen. Sounded like it was off of a, a bad. Well, I'm I'm sorry, sir, if it sounded that way. I, I'm sorry. We get a lot of prank calls. Go ahead. Um, I happen to be a pastor and also a teacher, mm-hmm. and it would appear that some of my eighth graders seem to have stumbled upon your TV show, and I have a bit of a beef with that. Okay. I have, in fact, this is more so for the listeners than it is for you, gentlemen. I have some evidence that God truly exists. If you look at Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare that the glory of God and the ferment shows his handiwork. And what that means is you go outside, you look at the trees, you look at the sky, you look at the ocean... You look up at the stars and the moon, and there is construction put in there. That was designed. How do you know? It makes no sense that something so brilliant can just appear one day. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Well, first of all, that's called an argument from ignorance fallacy. It's a logical fallacy. What you're actually stating is that it must be designed because it's it. You can't imagine that it could could not be designed. And arguing from ignorance. Yes, you don't right. know how it actually came about, and so you're asserting that therefore your your claim that a god did it is the is the viable option. And there's a second fallacy here. You're only picking the stuff you seem to like. The beauty quote beauty of the stars and such. You haven't really talked about the parasites that are trying to get into but your the body. Parasites that are trying to get into your body and eat your brain oh, right they now. They are. They are all just as magnificent, even though they might be doing harm. They are also just as magnificent because they are there for a reason, sir. They are there to control a population so that the population of a species does not go crazy. Including humans? Including humans, of course. Very good. Yeah, That's so, a very good evolutionary argument. Thank you. So, no, it's not an evolutionary argument. Well, there so, is designed behind that. Okay. How do you know? 
You can see it with your own eyes. All you need are eyes, and you can see the design is that's, there. That's not how we recognize design. I'm sorry. You don't just point that's at something. That's how I recognize design. And that's why we don't believe the same thing, because you don't understand how rec you rec we actually recognize design, and you just think that you look around and see it, and it is so. And unfortunately, that's not the way evidence works. So when you call in and say you have evidence well, for I a have God. I evidence right here. Isaiah 40, 18. No, sir. The Bible, the Bible is not evidence for the existence of a God. The Bible is, in fact, evidence for the existence of a God. Uh, you don't believe it is evidence, but well, is, in fact, that's there correct. are people that do believe it is evidence. And those people are wrong. How be do you know? Because the book cannot be evidence for the existence of a God. You need more than that the to demonstrate. Cannot, no, no, the book cannot be proof, Okay. the book can be evidence. Um, if you had some way of demonstrating that it was written by I, or inspired I, by... I do, I do. Okay. Isaiah forty eighteen. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare him with? That means, sir, that God is incomprehensible. You cannot understand the thinkings of a God or the actions of a God. Except for you, I'm assuming. No, I do not understand oh, them myself. Okay. Then how can you believe in something you can't comprehend? Do you believe in the universe, sir? Yes. Do you comprehend everything about the universe? I don't have to comprehend everything about the universe. I don't have to comprehend everything about God. Yes, but the thing is, I have evidence for the existence of the universe. I have evidence and it, for the existence and, of And God. my evidence is not just a book says so. Then what is your evidence? Have you not... Are we not experiencing the universe and observing it directly together? Do you not agree with me that we observe the universe? Well, what you call the universe, sir, I call God. Oh, so your God is just the universe. Why, if we already have a name for it, why call it God? Because I believe it is a God. That's why I call it God. You believe the universe is a God. I believe that God created the universe. Well, no, 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 that's, that's two different things. You can't believe the universe is God and believe that God created the universe. I believe that God had part in the universe, in the creation of the universe. The, you, certainly, you certainly seem to have a whole lot of comprehensible things about this incomprehensible God, and yet they don't make any sense. Well, it isn't an incomprehensible God. You said it was. And, and I have a question. Uh, is the Bhagavad Gita evidence for a God? Is the Koran evidence for a God? And of if, course. And if of it is, which okay. God? Which gods? The God. They're all the same God. Oh, okay. oh so I could worship Allah? And yes. So, and, okay. and, yet, and, and, and so you think the universe is God? Why does I don't think the universe is God. You said you did a minute I ago. I believe that God had part in creating the universe. Okay, well, a minute ago you said the universe was God. I mean, I, if, I, if you know, if the guys in the studio could, we would rewind it, and you could say... Oh, okay, but I if that, the universe is God. That's not what I believe. Okay. I believe that God had a hand in creating the universe. I believe so that God... So, was he working with somebody? He's not working with anybody, sir, no. So, he created the universe all on his own? Of course, why not? Okay, how do you know that God created the universe? There is evidence in the Bible that he no, created... No, 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 evidence... Yes, yes, there is evidence in the Bible... That God created the universe. So, so, the so George, George, this conversation is going to be pointless because if you just keep going back to your ancient book, um, we're getting nowhere. But you don't, what you don't understand, sir, is the ancient book means something to me. I believe in what the book says. I understand you that. See, you, t you tell me I don't understand that. I absolutely understand that. Do you not understand that I was a Christian for 25 years and the book used to mean something to me? The difference is that I found out that the book itself cannot be confirmation of what you think it does, and now your book means nothing to me. Right, but you use science and That's science correct. books as your argument. No, 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 no. To me. No, I so don't. We don't have a conversation. George. George, I don't use just science books. If you want to say I use science, that's fine. But I don't just point to science books. What, the fact that something is in a book, whether it's a science book or anything else, has no bearing on whether it's actually true. The truth of an idea is independent from whether it's in a book, whether somebody believes it, or how passionately they believe it. Well, where do you get your science facts, sir, other than science books? Scientists. Woo! And actually investigating well, and doing it on my own. 
Well, that's exactly how I get my information. Except that you're... From the Bible, yes. from priests and ministers, and from experiencing life on my own. That's yeah. how I get my information as well. And I'd recommend that you... You just disregard my information as wrong. Uh, no, I don't just disregard your information as wrong. My position is that your book is not sufficient to justify the claims you think it does. And you can cite the book and ministers all day long, but that doesn't get you any closer to the truth, which is why there's no Nobel Prize for discovering God. But if, in fact, God was the truth, then it is getting me closer to the truth, and it is getting you farther from the truth. But you're not believing in God. If in fa- well, boy, there's a great tautology. If, a God's, if the book's true, then the book's true. That's exactly. what you're saying. But, but we, don't go, we don't do things like that. We don't just say, oh, if it's true, then I'm going to turn out to be right. Well, big deal. I care oh, about what's actually. Seven. I care about what's actually true. Over empty space. I care about and what's actually. the world upon nothing. It now also, you explain to me how people in 2000 BC would have ever dreamed that the Earth was suspended in nothing. The Earth isn't suspended. The Earth is suspended by gravity. <laughs> okay. Look. First of all, um, you can you can cite the passages in the Bible that you think tell, no. tell us something about science. To me, and and we could also me, that, we could also do I have to put you on hold? Do I have to? Well, okay. I don't care what is evidence to you at all. Well, I don't understand how we can have any kind of discussion. If we can't. We can't. We can't. Then why do you have this show? Because I'm not always talking, George, because I'm not always talking to people like you who like a book and think that it tells them the truth. I, I also talk to people who care about rational conversation, about scientific evidence and rational and, discourse. And to me, sir, this is a rational conversation. Then you, you don't know, then you don't know you, what rational is. Exactly. You, 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 because you think that what I think is not rational. And, and that, That's and your yes. opinion. Well, no, I it's not. Your no, sir. Not rational. No, sir. It's not just an opinion. There is. It is just an opinion because my opinion is different than that. George, if we had followed your logic and your opinion, which we did for 2,000 years, we would still be worshiping devils. We would still be thinking devils cause disease. We would think devils cause mental illness. We would try to cast devils out, demons out of people. Well, we now no, know because that's we, just ignorance, sir. That's just ignorant. Well, Jesus cast demons out of people. Jesus was pretty damn ignorant himself, in my estimation. I know Jesus performed miracles and Jesus cured the sick, and that was interpreted by people that didn't know any better, who thought he was casting demons. Hey, hey actually, here. he was curing an ailment from that person. Okay, so but so, people so, hang two thousand years ago who saw that. Great. Assumed he was casting demons. Great. So what you've just said is the book you believe in has faulty information in it, and your God hasn't bothered to update it. It has and, faulty information. I agree. And, and your God hasn't bothered to update it, and yet you can somehow discern the truth from the fiction within it. What mechanism? Yes, do I you... can because I have a mind and I have a brain. Yes, and so do I, and so do all the other people who disagree with you, including people who are. Believers in the God. You realize there's thousands of denominations that, it, that adhere. Yes, I realize that, of course. And they disagree on all sorts of things, and yet you got it right. No, I don't got it right. Oh, okay. Thanks for calling. <clears throat> I hope those eighth graders continue to watch the show so that they can find out about what you think is rational, because... This is not just a matter of opinion, okay? This is an entire branch of philosophy, epistemology, about how we go about determining whether or not a claim is reasonably and rationally justified. And extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The fact that the claim that there is a God is an extraordinary claim, which requires more evidence than just pointing to an old book. That is simply not rational, not sufficient to the claim. Sorry, it's not just an opinion. There's more to life than that. Anyway. How are you? <laughs> I'm having fun, are you? <laughs> it's just, I, it's, it's frustrating because if person A's thing is 
this old book and my belief in it is、yeah. entirely rational, and you're just relying on science. Oh well, then we're just appealing to our own individual authorities and opinions. No, we're actually not,、uh, because the the things within science are testable. Well, I, I think the, the beauty of what we just heard was of, of a devout person admitting his book is fall, fallible. Yeah, and and he can't tell us what parts are and what aren't based on any kind of objective. Well, he thinks he can. He but can't. Not Right. right, he can. He's trying to tell his eighth graders that they can too if they just follow him. But if they just went down the street to the next church, the next guy would tell them a different set of those facts are true and not true. Yeah. So for、book. for all、yeah. the eighth graders, the best question you can ask is, how do you know? How do you know? Because if you if you can't come up with some way of knowing, for example, well, we've actually looked at the evidence. Well, what do you mean by evidence? Well, Isaiah, blah blah blah. Okay, no, that's not. I mean. You can say that this is a piece of evidence that you're working with, but what are you actually doing? You're pointing to a book and saying it says this, and look, it kinda actually maps to something in reality. Checkmate. No, you have no idea. Even if it was actually correct, even if let's say, let's say that instead of this, he hangs the earth in the sky. Let's say there was a passage in Isaiah that said、uh, that that described. Perhaps in a poetic way, the germ theory of disease. Awesome information in there. It's correct. What does that tell us? How did those people know that? First of all, did they actually know it? Is this happenstance? Is this coincidence? Are we interpreting this in hindsight to, to view it this way, or did they actually have an understanding of the germ theory of disease? And if they did have an understanding of the germ theory of disease, how in fact did they know this and understand it? This is exactly like him saying, "Oh, he hangs the earth in there and it suspends it from nothing."、Um, it's a well, gravity's not nothing. Hate to tell you, but、uh, they get all this right. We don't know how they knew. You have to provide evidence of how they knew. Now, his belief, of course, is that they knew because God told them. But you can't demonstrate that. Maybe they knew because ancient aliens came and informed them,、yeah. or maybe they had information and had to come by it by some of the same means that we have,、um, and had some rudimentary understanding of some things, and then lost it. I mean, maybe. Well, the whole atomic theory.、Uh, There seems to be some analog to that in Greek in Greek、yeah. philosophy, but looking back, we wouldn't claim that they understood atomic theory. It yeah, took, it took us today, science today, to understand atomic physics. Somebody was the first person to discover all this stuff. Somebody、yeah. was the first person to understand all this stuff. It's、uh, rationality is not just a matter of opinion. I don't know. I don't know how else to explain that,、um, because your view that that it's all a matter of opinion. Puts us in the position where nobody can ever have a discussion about、right. anything. My position is that once we agree on standards of evidence, we can actually begin to look at.、Things. I'm sure glad my doctor wants to agree on standards of evidence. Yes,、yeah. doing diagnosis on my body. Yeah,、and、this fellow that just called in probably wants his doctor to have a standard of evidence that would be a hell of a lot higher than his standard of evidence around his own book. Yeah, you know. Hey, sorry, you got that cancer thing. It's my opinion that instead of chemotherapy, you should eat jelly beans. And pray some more. Just as valid as yours, isn't it? Isn't it all just opinion? Isn't it all just relative? Anyway, this is a dangerous thing. Matt from Oslo. Hello.、Uh, hello there,、uh, Matt. Hi. So、uh, I want to make this kind of quick. I don't want to take up more、Me、time、too. because there's not, not so much left to show, and、uh, I've had so much to say.、Uh, but I hope you don't hang up on me. I, I place the odds of that as pretty high that I actually would, but go ahead. Okay,、uh, so I've been calling you guys and just like talking crap and trolling you guys. Yep. And、uh, it was just quite recently when I figured out that I I really regret doing that. And、uh, actually, mainly the main reason for that is that I got lots of death threats from your fans. And also see people commenting on YouTube like how much they hate me, and actually it made me feel very lonely and sad. How did you get death threats from fans of the show? Do they know you? Yes, because I posted on some of the videos、uh, saying that it was me because I have a YouTube account and I did that. Okay, well, and then they let, let me say that.、It. Let me say that to the fans of the show, don't be death threatening anybody. Yeah. So.、Uh, Uh, I, I would just like to say that、uh, I, I kind of 
I, I regret I regret doing it, and I apologize to you and uh, all the hosts. Okay, thanks. Like I said, the odds of me not hanging up on you really, really low. Uh, I do, though, owe that other caller an apology because his his uh, hello gentleman thing. I'm assuming that he was legit. He seemed legit and uh, genuinely disturbed that I did not like his holy book. Um, but uh, he, uh, I, I started off because I'm now in the position of being hypersensitive to prank callers because of assholes like that one. And uh, so for that, I do apologize. I, do not, I don't apologize for uh, trashing your respected holy book because it's pretty much... Uh, it's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's garbage. There's a lot of, uh, of stuff in there that's actually useful, and there's some beautiful poetry and stuff. But it's not a science book, and it's not a guide to life, and it doesn't convey any truths. Oh, and that's the other thing I was going to say. Not only do we not know how they would have known something if, in fact, they knew something, even though they didn't know anything, um, but if the book had told us that, we wouldn't know that it was true until we went out and investigated it and discovered it to be true by science. Telling me that the Earth is, you know, is, is suspended in space isn't true just because a book says it. When we find out later, through actual investigation and rational discourse and applying this not just an opinion manner of reason to find out that it's actually true, then we can say, wow, they, can, they got that right. Isn't that cool? How the hell did that happen? And then we can investigate further. But that's enough of that. As a reminder, after the show's over, a lot of us get together uh, and go to Threadgills. Uh, they'll have the address up on the screen there, 301 West Riverside Drive. Ryan in Melbourne, thanks for sitting through Matt from Oslo's call. Hey, Matt and Daryl. Hey. Um, I have a question here. I consider myself an atheist. My mom considers herself agnostic. And I've checked your website. I've checked all over Wikipedia, the dictionary and everything. And there's really no clear definition between the two. Wonder if maybe you have you been to ironchariots.org? No, I haven't. Go to ironchariots.org and look up atheist versus agnostic. The nuts and bolts. The nuts and bolts is that theism and atheism address what you believe. Not agnosticism and gnosticism address what you know. And so the terms aren't mutually exclusive at all. You can be a gnostic atheist or an agnostic atheist, and the same for theist. <laughs> all right. She's been trying to convince me that I'm agnostic. I'm not even sure about that. <laughs> well, does your mom believe? Does your mom actively believe there's a god? No. Then she's an atheist. She may. Awesome. She may be agnostic too. It's not mutually exclusive. I mean, you can be both, depending on depending uh, depending on uh, your definition of knowledge. I I may be an agnostic atheist or a gnostic atheist. Uh, it's I don't really care. <laughs> Just it's, be kind to your mother. She, yeah, yeah, she's a good friend of yours. It sounds like. I mean, uh, you're, you're an side. atheist with an agnostic mom. Do you know how many other atheists wish their yeah. mom was at least identifying as agnostic? But <laughs> yeah, my, my whole life we've been calling ourselves uh, Eastern Christmas Christians, as in we celebrate the holidays, but we've never been to church or pray or any of that stuff. There you go. Yeah, I we are decorated for Christmas and we'll celebrate an entirely secular Christmas because first of all. The overwhelming majority of stuff that people think of in the modern world, in the United States, and things like that when we celebrate Christmas, entirely secular. Uh, Christmas was actually uh, banned for a time by the Church of England yeah. uh, because it was too secular. There are Christian uh, denominations out there that will not celebrate Christmas because it's, yeah. because it's secular. There's a passage in Jeremiah about decorating the, the tree that some people have said means you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. But Christmas trees uh, aren't Christian not only is there nothing Christian about them, uh, there may be a prohibition against them within Christianity. And, and make a list of the things that you think of when you're celebrating Christmas. Jesus might make the top five for, for most people. I did, we did a quick drive around the neighborhood. All the people have lights up. hundred houses. There might have been two nativities and maybe five houses that had something that was overtly, expressly religious, and the rest of them are Frosty and Santa and icicles and lights and peppermints <laughs> and elves and, uh, hell, Mickey, there were more Mickey Mouses than there were Jesuses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is one of those things where there are two Christmases. There's a the religious holiday, which is about the birth of Jesus, and some of them hate the secular holiday. Then there's the secular holiday, which is also a federal holiday in the United States, and that 
doesn't really, they don't necessarily have to have much of anything to do together. And if you're pointing to it and saying, oh, but it says Christmas, look, it's got Christ right there in the label. Well, Thursday's got Thor right there in the label, too. My thing is celebrate whatever you want for whatever reason you want, and don't celebrate if you don't want to. But I think there's an advantage to as many atheists as possible celebrating an, an entirely secular Christmas and using the label Christmas when they're actually celebrating and saying, yep, I'm celebrating an entirely secular Christmas. By the way, I'm, you can do this if you want to. Like I said, not, nobody, I'm not sending out the, the call for people to do this. Because I think if you do that in a couple thousand years, um, when people are celebrating Christmas, they might go, what do you mean this used to be based on some religious figure's birthday? Because that's kind of the way we do things. The meaning of things changes. And the bulk of what we celebrate in the United States as, Christian, as Christmas is the type of thing that I think would be good to invent if it didn't already exist. Well, I don't know how I got to Christmas from your thing. but I'm, Yeah, I don't either. But I'm going to totally disagree with Matt here. I think we should take the Christ out of Christmas and put the soul back in solstice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank then, you very much. Sure I love your show, and I watch it all the time. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right, you have a nice night. Then there's also the Saturnalia and any number of things. <laughs> Throw whatever label you want. Matter of fact, in, in World of Warcraft, what is it, Wintervale? Feast of Wintervale or something? There's no WoW players in the crowd? Wow, they must be suffering. They used to have like 11 million subscribers. Anyway, I'd be in favor of like renaming it if you could do it, but there's already an existing market and yeah. tradition and, yeah, you know. Government shouldn't be putting up nativity scenes, but, you know, Christmas trees aren't Christian. But, uh, hey, so Matt from Oslo is not still on the line. That's pretty clear. But Jethro in Houston. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Well, How are you? No, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. How are you? No, I'm not. I'm not with you. Um, I'm lighting up the cigarette as we speak. It was a bad time for you to put me on. Um so uh, I'm calling in. Um, I know typically y'all have gotten a billion callers, and I know from y'all's point of view, I typically wouldn't want to hear a backstory, but I feel like this is important, so I'll give you like a 30-second backstory. Um, it better be really fast because we're only on for like two and a half minutes. Oh, can I talk to y'all after the show? Not today because Daryl's in town and we're heading straight over for dinner. But you can oh. always email tv at atheist-community.org. Oh, but I feel like I'm saying this when I call, though, so... Um, call in next call. week. Call in next week. All right. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll just give you the basis of it real quick. Um, I'm a, I'm OCD, mentally OCD, and uh, I obsess insanely much. I have severe OCD, and uh, I have a common obsession of OCD people is religion, as you might know, um, and... So I've obsessed over that for the last year, I'd say. And one of the, you know, what, what I've been thinking about the last week a lot is um, the implications of atheism and uh, morality. And I know, you know, y'all got class callers like, y'all, you can do anything you want because you have no basis for it. I've heard the counter arguments, but maybe it's because I'm so irrational in my own thinking, as you'd find with those of these people. But I find that if I was actually an atheist, I really can't make a decision on what moral actions I should take. Like, really? If, yeah, I, I, like, I really can't. I mean, y'all clearly think more rationally than me because y'all are. But in my uh, own state of thinking, like, I, I can say I don't want to murder this person. I won't ever murder someone. But I can't think of an actual reason why I shouldn't, except for. Maybe it's detrimental to society. Maybe I'm taking away life from some other person. Well, so what? That's not really an objective reason to me. That's like, you know, like, do you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, let me just say, we all have something in our brains called mirror neurons that allow us to empathize with other people. Even you, with OCD, well, that doesn't impair your ability to empathize with other people. Psychopaths cannot empathize with other people. Well, That's a I problem. Was, I, I was psychotic for a long time. We, so. we got to let you go. Okay. Um, fortunately, they put the credits up. Thanks so much for calling in. Thanks, Daryl, for coming out again. Well Always done. Fun. Always fun. To talk about sex and God and uh, stuff like that. We'll have you back down another time. Don't forget about the American Atheist National Convention. We'll be back on next week. Be safe and rational. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, 
a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.